Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. Welcome back to you, every member of the study group, those of you who have been here for a long time, and those of you folks who are new to the study group, welcome. This is the podcast where TLDR does not apply, and the study of history is a way of life. It's great to have everybody back here, including you new folks to the podcast, and I gather that we do have some new folks listening, just judging by the numbers on the podcast, the download numbers, so I thank you folks for joining us. It's always great to have new people roll into the study group, people who find this content particularly interesting. The in-depth, seemingly never-ending study of the Founding Fathers directly from their letters and correspondence. It never gets old to me, because, I mean, you can read these things your whole life and still find something new in these letters years and years and years after you started. And if you're going to learn about the United States of America, who better to learn it from than the people who built it? It's a lot better than learning it from the charlatans and snake oil salesmen that uh, try to sell you a bill of goods in the modern times in the 21st century. So let's go back to the original teachers, the builders, the founders. And we've got a great episode, I think, here for you. Dr. Franklin is going to be making his triumphal return to not only this podcast, but also to the colonies. He's on his way back. He's on the boat. And while he's on the—I mean, imagine Dr. Franklin. He's on the boat on the way back to the, to the colonies. He doesn't really have a lot of business to conduct on that boat, so what is he going to do? He's going to catch up on some letter writing. He's going to write some stuff. And in those writings, we are going to find— some wisdom from the man, but also good history, solid history that every single American should know. Most Americans will never, ever know what I am about to tell you on this podcast. They'll never know because they don't care. But you will know. You will be one of the educated few because Dr. Franklin, Professor Franklin, Dr. Franklin, is going to uh, teach all of us on the study group exactly what was going on at the time. And we have a special guest as well on the podcast today. We are going to be going live to 1776, and we are going to be listening to a little bit of a speech given by Samuel Adams. Yes, indeed. Finally, Samuel Adams is going to make a more prominent debut on the study group here. He's going to be joining us with some words of wisdom to punctuate uh, a particular message that Dr. Franklin was trying to convey, and also something that I am going to be trying to convey in a modern context, obviously, around what Dr. Franklin was describing. So I'm reading through Dr. Franklin's letter that I'm going to read to you on this episode. And I I thought to myself, I need need some backup. I need somebody to come onto the podcast and help me convey a particular message, an understanding that has been true for 250 years. 250 years ago, Samuel Adams, Dr. Franklin, and many others knew certain fundamental truths about freedom and liberty in this country. Of course, at their time, it was the colonies. But they understood it as their constitution under the British Empire, their, their ancient rights, their sacred rights. But they understood certain things. And who better to communicate that to us than the father of the American Revolution? That would be Samuel Adams. And no, I did not coin the phrase the father of the American Revolution. That was somebody else. And John Adams agrees with that title. We know that because he said that the true history of the revolution, I'm paraphrasing, but he said the true history of the revolution could not be written without the character of Samuel Adams. Amen to that. So if you uh, if you are expecting to tune into a barn burner of an episode, you picked the right one. It's going to be a tag team 
between Dr. Franklin, myself, and Samuel Adams, beating this point home about certain truths that every American should know about the origins of this country and how we perpetuate the republic and honor exactly what it is that Dr. Franklin charged us with, that we have a republic if we can keep it. And if you're going to keep it, you're going to need some help. We are going to need some help. And we're going to need the help of Dr. Franklin and Samuel Adams. Good news, we have it. They're joining us today to help us out. So I hope you're ready for that. I hope you enjoyed the previous episode of the podcast as well. And thank you for those folks who have contributed in reviews on the podcast, on Apple Podcasts. If Again, if as always, if anybody has a question, a comment, a thought, an impression that they wish to convey to me, you can do so on Apple Podcasts for the time being. As I mentioned on the previous episode, I am at the present time reworking... Um, other methods for which you'd be able to contact the podcast, that is to say myself, with regards to any questions, comments, thoughts, feelings, impressions, etc. But the for now, the review section of the podcast on Apple Podcasts is not just for reviews of the podcast, it's also just for generic questions, comments. It's a way for us to uh, interact across the study group, and I do value that. Uh, there's a lot of other podcasters out there that really don't. They, uh, it's, they, really, um, they really just set up their podcast to be a one-way street. But that's not how we do things here. This is a study group, as I as I uh, envision it. It's not a perfect study group. That is to say, we, we can't have a, a lively discourse on this podcast necessarily. But what I can do is I can take some of the questions, comments, thoughts, feelings, impressions, and I can bring them onto the podcast through the reviews, and I can uh, have a discussion around that, which I like to do. So today we're going to return to Dr. Franklin, get into those uh, those great letters that he's writing to us. We're, we're coming to the end of time for Dr. Franklin in, 17, in, the, in this uh, current period that we're talking about, 1774 to 1775. Uh, this period is drawing to a close for Dr. Franklin because we're, he's, he's right now we are in the time period where he's returning to the colonies, which is really just right before the war, right before the war. So we're getting close to it. This is going to be a long enough episode as it is, so what do you say we get into what Dr. Franklin has to, to teach us, and let's do that right now. All right, because in regard to Samuel Adams, you know, if you're going to, if you need some backup, if you need some help uh, when it comes to talking about the American Revolution, the best backup that you can call is Samuel Adams. He's going to bring the big guns because he is the big guns of the Revolutionary War, the founding of the United States of America, etc. And yes, indeed, we are calling in the big guns today, ladies and gentlemen. But before we get to the big guns with Samuel Adams, we're gonna we're gonna go back to the uh, the wise old man in the room, the old wise man, Doctor Franklin himself, and he wrote a letter from the ship uh, that he that was carrying him back to the colonies safely. Thank goodness. And he wrote this letter, and, and to start off, this is a letter from Benjamin Franklin to William Franklin, his son. I, I've talked a little bit about William Franklin before. If you don't know much about William Franklin, I mentioned previously that he was more of a loyalist than his father was. And when the war starts, this becomes much more apparent, obviously. He throws in whole hog with the British Empire against the American colonies, a.k.a. against freedom and liberty, against the rights of man, against the constitutions of the United States or excuse me, the constitutions of the colonies before the United States, but even, yes, the constitutions of the United States, he throws in with the British against all of it. And not only that, he assists in the murder and the assault on the colonists and the British subjects in America. I'm not kidding. I'm not making that up. That's who this guy was. It's really hard to believe that this man could be the son of Benjamin Franklin. But isn't that common in some cases, how sons don't really turn out like their fathers. 
It doesn't always work out that way. I heard some idiot say this one time that sons are always very different from their fathers. That, that couldn't be further from the truth. There are plenty of sons that carry on in the legacy of their fathers, and they do a very good job, and they do it in really fantastic ways, serving their country in some cases. I can give you a perfect example of that. I've actually mentioned him on this podcast before. Go back to the Gulf War in 1991. Who was in charge of that operation over there? That was General Schwarzkopf. His father, he was a West Point graduate, by the way, General Schwarzkopf. His father was also a West Point graduate, also in the military. Best as I can tell, very similar personalities. That's a perfect perfect example of an American following in the footsteps of his father, serving his country, and doing the right thing. That's not William Franklin. William Franklin is a very different personality entirely. He's not at all like Benjamin Franklin, unfortunately. The, uh, the apple did fall pretty doggone far from the tree. Somehow, somebody used a slingshot to fire that thing over the fence into another field entirely. And he was, for a time, by the way, the governor of New Jersey. Under the British Empire, of course. So keep all of that in mind as we talk about William. this letter written to William Franklin and who Benjamin Franklin is writing this letter to. But this is obviously before the war, before William Franklin decided to help murder his own, uh, his own people, basically, and throw in with the tyrannical criminal king, King George III, who should have been uh, tried and executed for war crimes, by the way. Not William Franklin, but uh, King George III. I wonder if anybody in Britain is going to object to that statement. Anybody from Britain listening to I, We've had people from Britain periodically kind of check in with the podcast. I know that. But they don't stay for very long. <laughs> Can you imagine it? People in Britain listening to this podcast and they don't stay for very long. Gee, I wonder why. And the answer, of course, is because the truth hurts. It must be painful to listen to this material if you're living in Britain. Honestly, it's painful to listen to half of this material if you live anywhere in the world, including the United States. This is a very uncomfortable podcast to listen to. I understand that. Sometimes. Not all the time. Sometimes. But li that's real life. We can't live in fantasy land forever. We can't keep going to Disneyland and pretending like the, uh, the bad things in the world are just going to go away, because they're not. We have to study these things. We have to learn. So let's read this letter. This was written on March 22nd, 1775. And again, he's on the boat. He's on the way back. And I quote, Dear son, having now a little leisure for writing, I will endeavor, as I promised you, to recollect what particulars I can of the negotiations I have lately been concerned in with regard to the misunderstandings between Great Britain and America, end quote. So he is going to write a very good historical account of precisely what has transpired to date. I cannot even begin to tell you how valuable this is. The fact that this is not read in every single history class, in every single school in the United States of America is practically a crime. A crime is practically being committed every single day in this country that this is not studied in school. And if you're a history teacher or you're a history professor and you disagree with me, I would love to hear from you about why you think this letter written by Benjamin Franklin to his son William Franklin is complete crap and we don't need to study it. I would love to hear it. I mean, I think you're probably going to sound like a freaking idiot when you try, but you might as well give it a shot. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts and let me know. And it's not necessarily your fault, by the way. It's not that I'm blaming all the history teachers and professors out there. I understand your, your problem. I, believe me, I do. Better than most people, I understand it. Your department, the history department, in public school and in university, is very underappreciated. Nobody, frankly, gives a crap about the history department. I understand. The parents don't give a crap about the history department. Most of the time, some do. My parents, I think, did. I certainly did as a student, both in, in all middle school, high school, and in, and in college, university, etc. But probably 80% of the country, at least, doesn't give a crap. I understand your problem, but don't try to tell me that 
this is not an important letter. But again, you don't always have control over your curriculum. I know the state boards of education have control over it. The, the school administration has control over it. So they don't let you, they don't give you the, the rope that you need probably to read this letter. I don't know. But if you can, if you can fit it into your curriculum, if you can sneak it past the school administrators, and if you can sneak it past the State Board of Education, I would highly encourage you to read this, enti this, this entire section that I'm going to read to you, if not more. There's more to it than what I'm going to read to you today. But at the very least, these selected works should be read. And, you know, public school teachers are doing a lot of sneaking things past the teacher, or excuse me, sneaking things past the administration and the parents and stuff lately. So why don't we sneak something actually positive past them and read this letter to the students, something valuable, instead of sneaking other things past them? Does that make sense? Okay, now that we're all on the same page there, let us continue. Because, again, this is a great, great history of the, quote, misunderstandings between Great Britain and America, end quote. This is valuable stuff. This is the real history of how this thing got started. Because Dr. Franklin was there. And if anybody would know, it's him. Let us continue. Quote, During the recess of the last parliament, which had passed the severe acts against the province of the Massachusetts Bay, the minority, having been sensible of their weakness as an effect to their want of union among themselves, began to think seriously of a coalition. For they saw in the violence of these American measures, if persisted in, a hazard of dismembering, weakening, and perhaps ruining the British Empire. This inclined some of them to prepare such a union with each other as might be more respectable in the ensuing session, have more weight in opposition, and be a body out of which a new ministry might easily be formed, should the ill success of the late measures and the firmness of the colonies in re resisting them make a change appear necessary to the king. I took some pains to promote this disposition. In conversations with several of the principals among the minority of both houses, whom I beseeched and conjured most earnestly not to suffer by their little misunderstandings so glorious a fabric to be demolished by these blunders, and for their encouragement assured them, as far as my opinions could give any assurance, of the firmness and unanimity of America." the continuance of which was what they had frequent doubts of, and appeared extremely apprehensive and anxious concerning it. End quote. There's a lot in this paragraph. There's a lot going on here. So let's begin taking this apart. He's talking about the minority, basically. In this entire paragraph, he's talking about the minority opposition to the majority in Parliament. What is the majority in Parliament? Those are the jack wagons who decided to pass the Intolerable Acts. And let, let us remember... They overthrew the legitimate government of Massachusetts. They overthrew the legitimate constitution of Massachusetts. They sent military soldiers to Massachusetts, installed a military dictator, and turned Boston into a garrison town, which would then be used as a base from which to launch offensive operations against the people of Massachusetts. Civilians, farmers, shopkeepers, families, men, women, and children. That's what, the, that's what the majority in Parliament did. And there's a minority coalition trying to work to stop it. Thank God. Now, I want you to think about that when you see minority coalitions in a legislature. Some people will think sometimes, you know, when a minority of people inside of a legislature are trying to work in furtherance of freedom and liberty, that this minority coalition is just getting in the way. This minority coalition is just in league with some kind of terrorist group of people, and they're trying to subvert and undermine the legislature. In this case, as in many cases, not all cases, but in many cases, this minority coalition is actually trying to save the British Empire from civil war. If these people would have gotten their way, they would have saved tens of thousands of lives. But they didn't get their way, because the majority 
supporting tyranny, was firmly against them. They were politicking in the legislature with the king and his tyrannical edicts. They were politicking and corrupting and conspiring to make sure that this minority coalition had no say in what was going on. And we've talked a lot about that before, but we're going to hear even more of it from Dr. Franklin today. But it mentions that right here, quote, "...the minority, having been sensible of their weakness as an effect of their want of union among themselves, began to think seriously of a coalition," end quote. Now listen to this, quote, "...for they saw in the violence of these American measures, if persisted in, a hazard of dismembering, weakening, and perhaps ruining the British Empire," end quote. And they were 100% correct. For all the talk of that minority coalition, what would they have said about the minority coalition? Seriously, these were hugely unpopular people. They would have said that these people were anarchists. They would have said that probably that they were they were sympathizers with terrorists, or they were in fact terrorists themselves. Rabble rousers. They were oh, they're just standing against Parliament. They're standing against the king. God save the king. They're standing against the legitimate leader of the British Empire. How dare they stand against the king? Blah 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 blah. When in a uh, bunch of b- bunch of misinformation out there, bunch of misinformation artists. This coalition, this minority coalition. When really all they were trying to do is save the empire. I want you to think about that next time somebody tries to slander a small group of people who are doing nothing more than talking about restoring rights to people. Because eventually, I get the distinct impression, this is exactly the fight for the Bill of Rights as it's going to play out over the years. At some point, it's going to be a minority of people in some legislature somewhere that are fighting for the Bill of Rights, and they're going to try to form some coalition to try to save the Bill of Rights in the United States of America, and they are going to be slandered, they're going to be subverted, and they're going to be hated. I could be wrong, but this has happened before and history repeats itself over and over and over again. Be watchful of this. The way to prevent it from happening is to be watchful of it. Pay attention to what Dr. Franklin is teaching us here. And apparently these people were doubtful about the Constitution of America. That is to say, the uh, the ability of, the, of America to withstand hardship and to, to fight the good fight. Because Dr. Franklin mentions it here at the end, quote, As far as my opinions could give any assurance of, the firmness and unanimity of America, the continuance of which was what they had frequent doubts of, and appeared extremely apprehensive and anxious concerning it, end quote. This minority coalition in Parliament is nervous that America is going to fold, that they're going to buckle, and all of their efforts to try to save this thing are going to be futile, and in the end, they are just going to paint a target on their back and make themselves an enemy of the majority and an enemy of the tyrant king. That's what they're concerned with. Firmness and unanimity, as described here. But he was trying to give them assurance that the firmness and unanimity of America was going to continue. Because he understood America at this time, they were not going to fold. They were not going to give up on their rights. They were not going to give up on this struggle. They were going to continue. Thank goodness. Right? Thank goodness for these people in the colonies at the time and their resolute nature. I wish we could say the same thing for the United States of America today. I mean, in some, cert- in some cases, we can say that. There's, there's certain groups of Americans that are diehard, Declaration of Independence, Constitution, Bill of Rights. But there's a whole swath of America today that will fold like a cheap wallet every time any one of these things is challenged. And there's a whole swath of Americans that are actually fighting to subvert all of these things. Declaration of Independence, Constitution, Bill of Rights. I know some folks overseas in other countries might find that really hard to believe. Oh my gosh, Roman, are you saying that there's people in the United States of America that are actually trying to subvert the Bill of Rights, that sacred document, those valuable rights that people in America have that almost nobody else in the world gets to enjoy? Yep, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? It's a good thing Franklin isn't alive to see that today. I don't know what I don't know what would happen first. I don't know whether he would have a heart attack 
from the from the unbelievable stress of seeing that at work today in the United States of America, or whether he would be like, uh, or whether he would be like Moses coming down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets in his hand, you know, and saying, "If you won't live by the law, then die by the law." I don't know. I'll let you be the judge of that. But let us continue this letter. This is going to get more interesting all the way up to the end of the letter, ladies and gentlemen. And I quote. The accounts from America during the recess all manifested that the measures of administration had neither divided nor intimidated the people there, that on the contrary they were more and more united and determined, and that a non-importation agreement was likely to take place, the ministry thence apprehending that this, by distressing the, tra the trading and manufacturing towns, might influence votes against the court in the election for a new parliament, which were in course to come on the succeeding year, suddenly and unexpectedly dissolved the old one and ordered the choice of a new one within, within the shortest time admitted by law, before the inconveniences of that agreement could begin to be felt or produce any such effect, end quote. So what's he saying? It's going back to this non-importation agreement. Basically, the, uh, the colonies were saying, okay, Britain, if you're, going to, if you're going to attack us with these intolerable acts, and remember what Dr. Franklin called this, he said, quote, for they saw in the violence of these American measures, end quote. The American measures being the intolerable acts for the most part, amongst other things. But he calls it violence. Just the mere act of doing these things is violence. So who's the really violent one here? Is it America or is it the Parliament and the King? And the answer from Dr. Franklin is it's Parliament and the King. It's not me saying that. So when I say when I say things like, you know, the, this is the government declaring war on the people, violence is very often an act of war. Some people think I just make this crap up. No, I've just read these letters before, and I know what I'm talking about. I haven't read all these letters. I mean, sometimes I bring new letters on the... Uh, probably, periodically, I bring new letters on this podcast I've never read before until I did the research for this podcast. But some of these I've read before. I know where these people are coming from, and I know what really happened in 1775. I'm not delusional about it. I know who started the war. And no, it was not the American colonies. But this non-importation agreement was basically the colonists saying, no, we're not going to import your crap, Great Britain. We're not going to do commerce with you if you continue this which is going to hurt your economy, it's going to hurt your businesses, it's going to hurt the business owners, it's going to, it's going to hurt, hurt a lot of, of uh, money interests in Great Britain. So the Parliament and the King, seeing this, they, they started manipulating the Parliament. Quote, Suddenly and unexpectedly dissolved the old one and ordered the choice of a new one within the shortest time admitted by law, before the inconveniences of that agreement could begin to be felt or produce any such effect, end quote. So they start manipulating the legislature to get what they want. Oh my gosh. A government actually starting to manipulate its own legislature so that they can get their power grab that they want. They can ride roughshod over the people. They can engage a tyranny and oppression against the people. I am so shocked. I'll bet you that's never happened before. And surely it's never happened since. I mean, there couldn't possibly be another parliament or a legislature anywhere in the world that's manipulating the rules to try to get their little power grab. Of course, anybody who believes that this never happened before, hasn't happened since, is somebody who doesn't ever read history. This happens all the time. This is what governments do. People think this these things are like a one-off and they only happen in third world countries or some tin pot dictatorship banana republic type crap. This happens all the time, including in the British Empire. These people don't like to let go of their power. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? That's the quote. That's the famous quote. I don't know who said it, but it's the famous quote. I don't come up with this crap. So when you get Dr. Franklin saying this, and me saying this, and whoever the heck it was who came up with that quote about absolute power corrupting absolutely, all three of us in agreement, I'd say we're on to something here. 
And we need to stop wishing this away. We need to stop saying, well, this can't happen here. It can't happen there. Blah, 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 blah. Everything's perfect. Everything's sweetness and sunshine. Nothing bad is ever going to happen here in my little Disneyland, Fantasyland world. You got to keep an eye out for this crap. This is just what these people do. It's the natural state of things. And that doesn't mean you accept it and walk away and ignore it. It means you pay attention to it and you try to stop it. Because when you don't stop it, the same thing happens as what happened in 1775. People die. And I wish this minority coalition in the British Parliament would have succeeded. And I wish the Parliament and the King had not manipulated their legislature, such as Dr. Franklin is describing here, because then we would have saved tens of thousands of lives. There is always going to be that temptation for people out there to say, well, this is just historic. It can't happen here. This couldn't possibly happen here. Because people never want to acknowledge problems. The definition of the United States of America in the modern day is a couple of things. One of them is ignore problems. Just ignore them. Walk away. Put the blinders on. Put your hands over your ears and go, la, 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 la. I don't hear it. I don't hear it. That's, pro that's easily 70, 80% of the people in the United States of America. I mean, they'll complain about all kinds of random crap that doesn't matter. But when it comes to the real substantive stuff, la 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 la, I don't hear it, la 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 la. But again, for all you for all you people around the world and countries besides the United States, pay attention to this when legislatures start getting manipulated like this. Pay very close attention to it. And this this kind of crap happens worse in parliamentary systems than in than in the United States. The United States doesn't have anywhere near the same kind of problems with this as parliamentary systems do. Uh, parliamentary systems, by the way, are a friggin' joke. For all you people overseas who think your parliaments are just the greatest thing since sliced bread, and the American Congress is some kind of uh, absolute disaster written down on paper in the United States Constitution, you have no idea what you're talking about. You have been blinded and corrupted by that god-awful parliamentary system that you live under. That thing is a dumpster fire. And it's the reason why most other countries, like in Europe, etc., you, you people have no freedoms that you can count on. Your freedoms can be gotten rid of at the blink of an eye. And it's because, primarily, not entirely, but primarily because that stupid, idiotic parliamentary system that you have over there. Are there benefits to a parliamentary system? Sure. I could string together a couple of examples, but in the aggregate, in the final analysis, that parliamentary system is nothing but a threat to the people. Yes, I said it. And it's a bigger threat to you people. Your parliament, your parliament is a bigger threat to you than any enemy army ever will be. That's always going to be the case. Now, before I get too far off track, you know, debating the merits of a, you know, the United States Congress versus a parliamentary system, let us continue to get into the weeds here of what Dr. Franklin sees as being the real problem and what really instigated the civil war in the British Empire in 1775. And it was a civil war, by the way. Let us continue. Quote, but towards the end of last August, returning from Bright's Brimblestone, I called to visit my friend Mr. Sargent at his seat, Halstead, in Kent. Agreeable to a former engagement, he let me know that he had promised to conduct me to Lord Stanhope's at Chevening, who expected I would call on him when I came into the neighborhood. We accordingly waited on Lord Stanhope that evening, who told me Lord Chatham desired to see me and that Mr. Sargent's house, where I was to lodge, being in the way, he would call for me there the next morning and carry me to Hayes. This was done accordingly. That truly great man, Lord Chatham, received me with abundance of civility, inquired particularly into the situation of affairs in America, spoke feelingly of the sovereignty of the late laws against Massachusetts, gave me some account of his speech in opposing them, and expressed great regard and esteem for the people of that country, who he hoped would continue firm and united in defending by all peaceable and legal means their constitutional rights. I assured him that I made no doubt they would do so, which he said he was pleased to hear from me. 
as he was sensible I must be well acquainted with them. I then took occasion to remark to him that in former cases great empires had crumbled first at their extremities from this cause, that countries remote from the seat and eye of government which therefore could not well understand their affairs for want of full and true information had never been well governed, but had been oppressed by bad governors on presumption that complaint was difficult to be made and supported against them at such a distance, end quote. Oh boy. Yeah, we've got so much stuff in here, it's hard for me to even wrap my mind around it all sometimes. So he's talking to this Lord Chatham, who appears to be much amenable to the arguments of the Americans, the colonists, in regards to the late Acts of Parliament. That would be the Intolerable Acts. And others, you know, yet pending within the Parliament to further declare war on the, the colony of Massachusetts, mostly. And he opposed them. He opposed these measures, apparently, in the Parliament, which is good. He's one of those people who's actually trying to stand up for sanity instead of insanity. He doesn't want to see the Empire torn apart. Most likely. I'm sure that's probably partly his motivation. There is this part of the... There, well, I'll, I'll begin with the, you know, the crumbling and their extremities. This, this is a very interesting discussion. And I'll, I'll, I'll start, I'll quote this again here for you, right here. Quote, I then took occasion to remark to him that in former cases, great empires had crumbled first at their extremities from this cause that countries remote from the seat and eye of government, which therefore could not well understand their affairs for want of full and true information, end quote. So they crumble first at their extremities. What does that mean? Distance. The far-out regions, basically, is what he's talking about. So the far-out regions of, uh, perhaps, the, the Roman Empire and so on and so forth. Dr. Franklin is arguing that they're far from the seat and the eye of government so that the government doesn't understand them. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, the federal government of the United States of America was never intended to govern absolutely, to be able to pass laws... In all, binding the states in all cases whatsoever. It can't do that. Does that sound familiar? To pass laws to bind the states in all cases whatsoever? What does that sound like to you? The Declaratory Act? What was the Declaratory Act? That was Parliament passing a law that said, we can bind the colonies in all cases whatsoever. In other words, we can, we can, we can do whatever we want. We can pass whatever law about whatever, whenever. The colonists disagreed with this. And imagine, imagine why it is that I say to you, and I start talking about this concept of people in the United States today trying to make everything a federal issue. They want everything to be handled by the federal government. There's two kinds of people that do that. Stupid people and people who want tyranny and oppression and slavery in the United States of America. And they don't give a crap if the United States of America stays together or breaks apart or collapses or whatever. They don't give a crap. It doesn't even register on their radar. Now, that means some people might say, well, that's a harsh thing to say. What the heck is Dr. Franklin saying right here? What's he saying? Quote, that countries remote from the seat and eye of government, which therefore could not well understand their affairs for want of full and true information, had never been well governed, but had been oppressed by bad governors on the presumption that complaint was difficult to be made and supported against them at such a distance, end quote. I don't make this crap up. You wonder why the federal constitution is so limited, why the, why the federal government has such little power over much of anything, and so much of it is delegated to the states? This is why. You keep the government local. What have I been saying this whole time? The closer the government is to the people, the more power it should have to the extent that it should have any power whatsoever. That doesn't mean that a government close to the people, like the city council, has absolute power. Uh-uh. They don't. But they, they, ha they have the most power to the extent that a government has power over any issue at all. And there's plenty of issues the government has no, no authority over. They rest with the individual, such as freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, Freedom of petition, 
freedom of the press, freedom of religion, and on and on and on. The government has literally zero authority on any of those issues at all. Those are left to the people. And this is why I say things like, you know, you know, like th the most the most glaring example of this is like the state of Alaska, for example. Should the state of Alaska be governed from Washington, D.C.? No, that's insanity. The people of Alaska should govern the state of Alaska. That that state is so far away and so poorly understood by the rest of the country. Nobody could possibly conceive how to run that state from Washington, D.C. or anywhere else for that matter. And I know because I've been there. I know what the mindset is in Alaska, generally speaking. But that's the case for every state, including Maryland, which is right there. It's Maryland is basically a suburb of Washington, D.C. Maryland should govern itself as well. It can't be governed from Washington, D.C. It shouldn't be. But boy, people sure are trying, aren't they? And Dr. Franklin is telling you, stop it! This is how empires crumble in their extremities. Now, Maryland wouldn't necessarily be one of the extremities, but Alaska sure as crap would. He's basically making the argument that these things should be governed locally. Locally. This is the instruction manual to the United States Constitution. If you want to understand why in the world they made that document so limiting to the federal government, for Pete's sake, just read the frickin' letters. Why do the states have so much authority? Why, why is it that the states are delegated most authority over most issues? This is why. This isn't brain surgery. You don't have to be Archimedes to be able to do the math on this one. Yet people try over and over and over again, remove the power from the states and send it to Washington. Boy, that's a freaking brilliant idea. That's doing the exact opposite of what Dr. Franklin is telling you to do right here. Now, we can either listen to the wise old man or we can continue to be freaking morons. It's our choice. Do we want to continue to be freaking morons, or do we want to listen to the wise old man in the room from 1775? The guy who was there at the beginning, the guy who helped build it. Now, someone might say, well, this is a, this is not going to happen. I mean, this, this clearly can't happen in the United States. Our structure of government and so on and so forth was set up so that this could never happen. What if I told you that there was somebody from this time period who lived during the time of Dr. Franklin who predicted that this very thing that Dr. Franklin was talking about would happen in the United States of America. What if I told you there was a man who predicted it? And not only did he predict it, he wrote it down. And I've read it with my two eyes. Would you believe me? You probably should, because I'm going to read it to you. Not on this episode, but I believe me, we will be getting into that. When we talk about the Constitution, I am going to talk about the people who disagreed with the Constitution, who thought there were problems with it, people tried to shut them up, because they wanted some expedient resolution to the problem, instead of being a little bit more deliberative, and they ignored certain problems in that Constitution, glaring problems in that Constitution. Yes, I support the Constitution. Yes, I think it was probably the best form of government ever conceived by the mind of man, but it does have a few issues. And some people were right about some of their criticisms with regards to that Constitution, and boy, am I going to read them to you. So once again, if you think I make this stuff up, if you think this is me conveying, you know, some problem with the federal government and everybody trying to make everything a federal issue, and this is a problem and everything should be local and we got a problem with being, things being kept local, I don't make this stuff up. I'm just getting this from the boys of 76. That's where I'm getting it from. So if you have a problem with anything, and I do mean anything I say on this podcast, for the most part, at least 80% of what I say, if you have a problem with it, then I suggest you go to the nearest graveyard where you can find any of these founding fathers. St just stand in front of the gravestone and start screaming and yelling at it. Because the vast majority of this crap doesn't come from me. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir with regards to the regulars on this podcast, but again, I have to tailor this message. I have to be blunt, I have to be very direct, and I have to be harsh at times for those folks who wander into this podcast and don't realize what they're walking into, and who haven't been taught this stuff, and haven't thought this through because they were failed. They were failed by the public school system, they were failed by the university, they were failed by society, and in some cases they were failed by their parents, who failed to teach them any of this crap. 
I will not make the same mistake. I will not fail you. I will not fail you on this topic. It will not happen. At least you can count on that. And if you think, you know, here, I'll give you a little piece of this. You know, if you think that, you know, we don't have a problem with this in the United States and we will never have a problem because we have local representatives, we have people elected locally that go to the federal Congress, the general government, and they represent us. So that's the locality being represented in the Congress. So there is that local representation there at the very least. Well, here's the problem with that. Where do those people live? Well, somebody might say, well, they live in their respective states. You know, they only they only travel to Washington, D.C. on business. Yeah, that's true for some of them. But there's plenty of them that, for the most part, they, they live in northern Virginia. Okay, let's just be let's just be honest. They they do not live in your state in some cases. Some cases they do. In many cases, they don't. They live in northern Virginia, and that's where they stay. And when they leave Congress, do you know where they go? Sometimes they go back to the state. In many cases, they don't. You know where they go? Northern Virginia or someplace else. But they keep showing up around that city, Washington, D.C. You know why? Because they live right across the, they live right across the border in Northern Virginia. What are they doing there? Why don't they go back to their state? Because they're not really from your state. They don't really live in your state. They don't care about your state. They're not local anymore. They belong to that city. They are owned. They are a wholly owned subsidiary of that city, the most corrupt city in the United States of America. Congratulations. That's your representation. Not not for everybody. Don't get me wrong. There are some good ones that really do live in the locality. There really are. But there's a great many that absolutely do not. You need to know that. And if you don't, then you're missing a piece of information. And this all, t- and, and some people think, oh, you're getting modern political, Roman. This all ties into what Dr. Franklin was saying. What is he saying? He's saying that empires collapse. They crumble in their extremities, because that distant government doesn't understand the people in the extremities of the empire. Or in our case, the country. They don't understand them because they're not there. Why do you think I'm telling you this? Because not only do I have to tell you about history, I have to I have to tell you how we apply it today. How to apply the lesson. Because if we want to avoid the great curse, those who do not understand history are doomed to repeat it. We will repeat this. This will happen again. And I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't tell you that this can be a problem today. Is it as big of a problem as it was in 1775? Absolutely not. Could it become that big of a problem? Absolutely. Something to keep an eye on. Let us continue. Quote, Hence, such governors had been encouraged to go on till their oppressions became intolerable, but that this empire had happily found and long been in the practice of a method whereby every province was well governed, being trusted in a great measure with the government of itself, and that hence had arisen such satisfaction in the subjects and such encouragement to new settlements, that had it not been for the late wrong politics which would have Parliament to become omnipotent, though it ought not to be so unless it could at the same time be omniscient, we might have gone on extending our Western Empire, adding province to province as far as the South Sea and Quote. He's at it again, ladies and gentlemen. Again, he's driving this home with a sledgehammer. Can you can you feel it? Local, local, local. He's saying that Britain had a solution to this problem of empires crumbling in their extremities, right? Quote, but that this empire had happily found and long been in the practice of a method whereby every province was well governed, being trusted in a great measure with the government of itself, end quote. He believed that Britain had found a solution to the age-old problem. Local, local, local. Local government. 
So all of you people out there, if there's anybody within the sound of my voice who was dragged kicking and screaming into listening to this podcast, if one of you, if one of you folks out there who understands this dr- literally dragged somebody, hopefully you didn't literally drag them, but metaphorically dragged them kicking and screaming into this listening to this podcast, if you still think everything should be a federal issue, the Congress has to pass a law for this, the Congress has to pass a law to protect me from that, the Congress has to do this, the Congress has to do this. This is Benjamin Franklin saying, hey, stupid, stop it. Stop it. Stop being a child. Stop being ignorant as to the true nature of the world. Crack open a book. Study some history about the great empires that have crumbled before, because Dr. Franklin surely did. And so did John Adams and Samuel Adams, by the way. Crack open a book and understand that what you are doing is going to lead to the destruction of your country. That thing that you think is going to help you is going to destroy everything that you have or your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren have. Make no mistake. This is stupid. And just as Britain started to walk away from that, Britain had found the solution to the problem, Dr. Franklin says. But then they started to walk away from it, and as soon as they did, sure enough, the empire began to collapse. You could practically clock it with an egg timer. Seriously. And the Soviet Union, does anybody remember how the Soviet Union began to collapse? It started to collapse in the extremities first. Do you remember Germany? Those folks, those folks listening to this podcast from Germany, periodically we have, we have some folks from Germany who tune into this podcast. Do you remember your own history? I know some people in Germany do, but I know a lot of people in Germany don't, probably because you have the same problem we have in the United States. You don't teach it to your children. So your children are walking around your country dumb as a bag of hammers, and they have no idea how the Soviet Union collapsed because they weren't there. And they haven't bothered to crack open a history book. Do you need another example for Pete's sake? I mean, how many more times do I have to keep coming up with examples to make this clear? How many times does Dr. Franklin need to say this before the United States of America will understand the stupid path that we are on? Because we've got a great thing here. We have these states that traditionally had been uh, had been set to govern themselves. The state of Alaska should be governing itself. The state of Nevada should be governing itself. But more and more, it's like, nope, nope. Rip up that power, send it to Washington. That's a brilliant idea. Do the exact opposite of what Dr. Franklin is telling you to do. Surely that's a winning strategy. Not really. And you wonder why, at the beginning of this letter, I say that this should be taught in every history class in the country. How many problems would this solve? How many problems would this would this solve with the 18 and 19-year-old kids being turned out into the country to vote... And they have no idea what Dr. Franklin is talking about here. This might as well, as far as they're concerned, this might as well be written in ancient cuneiform writing because they have no clue what he's talking about. And they don't understand how they are walking down the same path that the British Parliament was walking down in 1775, changing this fundamental method that worked for the British Empire, governing locally, the provinces being governed by themselves. Everything's working fine. The British Empire is growing. The colonies are growing. America is a rising location. It's becoming the strongest part of the British Empire. And then Parliament comes in and decides to upend that that methodology completely and try to govern everything by the Declaratory Act so that they can bind the colonies in all cases whatsoever, micromanage the colonies. And then what do we get? A civil frickin' war. Don't tell me there's no value in reading this in public school history class. Don't tell me there's no value in this. Dr. Franklin is reading our mail. Dr. Franklin understands the United States of America in 2023 better than 80% of the population of this country does. And that's a sad commentary because he died 200 years ago. But this is what happens when you read history books. This is what happens when studying history is a way of life. This is what happens when TLDR does not apply. This is what happens when you actually take some brain cells, rub them together, and start thinking through a problem. 
you get the result that Dr. Franklin has come up with here, a proper analysis of what led to the collapse of the British Empire in 1775. And it was a collapse. When you engage in a civil war like what we did in 1775, that's what I would call a collapse. And for all you parents out there, I need, I need you to hear me. If you have children, and I don't care how old they are, I don't care if they're 5 or 50, you're still parents. If you have not taught your children this, you need to. Because when they turn 18, or if they turned 18, unless they had a proper grounding in this, and maybe you did, maybe you did a good job, because I know for a fact that some parents are doing it. I know that, otherwise we'd be much worse off than we are. But if you haven't, for God's sakes, please do it. Because the school ain't going to do it for you. I just told you, they're never going to read this letter. It's not going to happen. And all the others that all the other letters that sound exactly like this about the solution to the problem, about how governments actually work and how they collapse, they ain't going to read them letters either. And they're not going to read it in the university. They're too busy teaching other crap at the university. Believe me, I know. I was there. So we have to do it. But good news. There's a podcast where you can listen to this stuff. And you don't have to go dig up these letters. I do it for you. And if there's any younger folks listening to this podcast, you know, people between the ages of 15 and 25, roughly, Definitely take in what you're hearing here from Dr. Franklin and understand what he means by this. This man, this man worked really hard to try to try to to try to stop the Civil War from happening. He went all the way over to London, spent a great deal of time there, by the way, and he worked with these people very directly in London, trying to make them see the light, trying to put, trying to keep the British Empire together, but they wouldn't hear it. Listen to Dr. Franklin. He knows he was there. You were not there. I was not there, but he was. And we have to keep a mind to this kind of stuff. We have to understand how to keep this country together and how it's supposed to be properly governed, because we have responsibilities as citizens. All too often, citizens in this country think, think too much of their rights, and we should. We shouldn't forget our rights, but we need to think about our responsibilities as well. The soldiers who defend this country did their job. From 250 years ago to today, they did their job because they took it seriously. Now it's time for us to take ours seriously. We have to do our job. And make sure and understand what Dr. Franklin's telling here. It's super important. Now let's continue in this letter. Quote, He mentioned an opinion prevailing here that America aimed at setting up for itself as an independent state, or at least to get rid of the, na the Navigation Acts. I assured him that having more than once traveled almost from one end of the continent to the other, and kept a great variety of company eating, drinking, and conversing with them freely, I never had heard in any conversation from any person drunk or sober the least expression of a wish for a separation or hint that such a thing would be advantageous to America. And as to the Navigation Act, the main, the main material part of it, that of carrying the trade in British or plantation bottoms, excluding foreign ships from our ports, and navigating with three-quarters British seamen, was as acceptable to us as it could be to Britain, that we were even not against regulations of the general commerce by Parliament, provided such regulations were bona fide for the benefit of the whole empire— not for the small advantage of one part to the great injury of another, end quote. So he's saying that America is very amenable to working with the parliament, with the king, to make this kind of, to, to, to seek some kind of a resolution. And they're not against the Navigation Act, which was, in a nutshell, it was basically regulating trade to some regard, trying to make sure that Britain continued to profit and have a majority presence in the in the conduct of such trade and commerce, you know, around the colonies and so on and so forth. He's saying that the he's saying that the American people, that the colonists, are perfectly for that, and they don't intend to set up a an independent state. They don't intend to set up an independent state, and that that's that's very evident in the Congress and the petitions that they sent to the king trying to seek some kind of a resolution. They they bent over backwards 
trying to make this happen. All the while, by the way, the colony of Massachusetts was under attack by violent measures, not my words, Benjamin Franklin's words, by violent measures undertaken by the Parliament and the King. They were, they were trying to work with them while they were under assault. To say that these men had patience, to say that they were peaceable, is a bit of an understatement. Now, let me, uh, let me read one line of this to you, just to expand upon it a little bit more. Quote, that we were even not against regulations of the general commerce by Parliament, provided such regulations were bona fide for the benefit of the whole empire, not for the small advantage of one part to the great injury of another, end quote. What does that sound like to you? Regulations of the general commerce. What does that sound like? Does that sound like interstate commerce to you? Like the Interstate Commerce Clause to the Constitution of the United States of America? Very interesting. Now, riddle me this. At the time, 1775, was this regulation of general commerce being abused by Parliament and the King in Great Britain? In other words, were they trying to use it to the advantage of Parliament and the King, not so much the advantage of the colonies? In other words, injuring the colonies as Dr. Because Dr. Franklin is implying something here. Quote, Provided such regulations were bona fide for the benefit of the whole empire, not for the small advantage of one part to the great injury of another. End quote. He's implying that there has been great injury in the conduct of regulating general commerce in the British Empire. Because why? Because the usual suspects, the Parliament and the King, are corrupt, of course. Is it possible for the regulation of general commerce, a.k.a. interstate commerce, to be abused in such a way that it injures one party and benefits another? Yes, Dr. Franklin is saying it right here. Is this something that we need to keep an eye on? Yes. Stay tuned. I'm going to have more on that in another episode. The lessons that this man has to teach us just go on and on and on. They're just endless, ladies and gentlemen. Endless. I have to get through this last section fairly briefly. Uh, otherwise, this episode's going to be longer than I'll get out. Uh, so I'll read this uh, this next section here at a, a fairly rapid pace and then just cover... I may have to cover some of this in the next episode, but I'll cover the primary point that I wanted to cover in this in this section, uh, but I'll read it first. Quote, On the Thursday preceding this chess party, Mr. David Barclay called on me to have some discourse concerning the meeting of merchants to petition Parliament. When that was over, he spoke of the dangerous situation of American affairs. The hazard of a civil war might be brought on by the present measures, and the great merit that person would have who could contrive some means of preventing so terrible a calamity and bring about a reconciliation. He was then pleased to add that he was persuaded from my knowledge of both countries, my character and influence in one of them, and my abilities in business, no man had it so much in his power as myself. I naturally answered that I should certainly be very happy if I could in any, dis in any degree be instrumental in so good a work but that I saw no prospect of it, for that though I was sure the Americans were always willing and ready to agree upon any equitable terms, yet I thought an accommodation impracticable unless both sides wished it, and by what I could judge from the proceedings of the ministry, I did not believe that they had the least disposition toward it, that they rather wished to provoke the New England people into an open rebellion, which might justify a military ex execution." and thereby gratify a grounded malice which I conceived to exist here against the Whigs and dissenters of that country. Mr. Barclay apprehended I judged too hardly of the ministers. He was persuaded they were not all of that temper, and he fancied they would be very glad to get out of their present embarrassment on any terms, only saving the honor and dignity of government. He wished, therefore that I would think of the matter, and he would call again to converse with me further upon it. I said I would do so, as he requested it. 
but I had no opinion of it of its answering any purpose. We parted upon this, but two days after I received a letter from him enclosed in a note from Dr. Fothgill, both which follow, end quote. Good Lord. Uh, there was one section where I was reading this, you know, where, I, where I, I rolled my eyes and I felt like saying something in the middle of my quotation, but I resisted. It was this section here. Quote, He was persuaded that they were not all of that temper, and that he fancied they would be very glad to get out of their present embarrassment on any terms, only saving the honor and dignity of government, end quote. Good Lord. The honor and dignity of government. In other words, they were trying to save face. This sound this sounds more like the People's Republic of China than it does the than it should the British Parliament, but it's the way it was. This is exactly the way the People's Republic of China runs their business all the time, trying to save face for government. And they have walked that country down one nightmare after the next, just trying to save face. Do you understand? That's the same personality you're dealing with here in Britain at the time. It's no wonder there was a civil war. There was never going to be anything but. I mean, if these people are concerned with saving face for the government, of course there's going to be a civil war. Because their priorities are all askew. They're all in the wrong place. So be mindful of that. When politicians are trying to save face for the federal government or something, or whatever government you live under around the world, just know that this is a freaking problem. Civil war, though. He says it right there. Quote, when that was over, he spoke of the dangerous situation of American affairs, the hazard that a civil war might be brought on by the present measures, end quote. Brought on by the present measures, the intolerable acts, amongst other things. There it is again, that reference to civil war, because it was a civil war, ladies and gentlemen. We call it the Revolutionary War because, you know, it was our Revolutionary War, but it was a civil war amongst Britain, amongst British people, and with the British military. I want you to understand that. Why is this so important? Because understand that this was our military. And when I say our, I mean us as in the, the posterity of the Founding Fathers. Going back in time, we were the American colonies at one point. We were. Those of us who call ourselves Americans, we were the British colonies at one point. It was our military that attacked us. The military that was charged with the defense of the people turned on us and attacked us. It was civil war. I didn't say it. These people said it. The people who were there. The people in Britain and the people in the, in, in the colonies, what became the United States. They're the ones who keep calling it a civil war, not me. So I don't want to hear any more of this crap about how it cannot happen here. Because that's going to be the common argument that people come up with. Oh, this can't happen here. This is the, this is the 21st century. It couldn't happen here. It's modern time. Well, number one, this, this has been happening for 10,000 years. Why the heck do you think we're any different? And number two, it already happened here. It's already happened. In 1775, this was us. This was our government, these, these were our colonies, this was our military, and they attacked us. That's just the way it was. That's just real history. So for those of you who say, if there is anybody listening to this podcast, believe me, most of the, most of the, most of the uh, fly-by-night crowd, they bailed on this episode of the podcast probably about 30, 40 minutes ago. But if there's anybody still left, I want you to regale me with your wisdom about how it cannot happen here. I want you to talk to me about that. I'll leave a review on Apple Podcasts and, and, and regale us with your genius about how this cannot happen here. It's been happening for 10,000 years in almost every civilization that's ever existed, and it's happened here vis-a-vis -vis the British Empire when we were, in fact, the British Empire. But oh, it can't happen here. I'm waiting for somebody to educate me. I'm just waiting, like patience on a monument. Because apparently me and Dr. Franklin are the morons, and we don't know what we're talking about. I say jokingly, sarcastically. Now, there is an even darker portion to this paragraph that we must talk about. And this is what we will conclude with on this episode. Let's listen to what Dr. Franklin says is the real problem, and let's listen to him tell us who started the war, because he's going to, he told us who started the war. Quote, Yet I thought an accommodation impracticable, 
unless both sides wished it. And by what I could judge from the proceedings of the ministry, I did not believe they had the least disposition toward it, that they rather wished to provoke the New England people into an open rebellion, which might justify a military execution and thereby gratify a grounded malice, which I conceived to exist here against the Whigs and dissenters of that country. End quote. When he says here, he means in Great Britain. And when he says that country, he means basically Massachusetts, the colonies. The ministry, ladies and gentlemen, he just told you. In this letter, he just told you who started the war. And we've heard it in other letters before. This isn't new. I'm just telling you, this is yet another frickin' letter from another person, Dr. Franklin in this case, telling you who started the frickin' war. This war started before that shot was ever fired on April 19th, 1775. People say, well, that shot, a shot heard around the world, and this shot started the war. No, it didn't. War was declared long before that shot was ever fired. It was declared by the government, a.k.a. the ministry, as he calls it here. The government declared war on the people of Massachusetts with their violent measures. His words, not mine. Violence. Violence, he says. An act of war in and of itself, basically. And what were they trying to do? Well, this is some real conspiracy theory stuff. People wondered why. I got a question from somebody about that. I'm dead serious. Why in the world would you do a podcast episode on conspiracy theory versus conspiracy fact? Well, now you know. Quote, that they rather wish to provoke the New England people into an open rebellion which might justify a military execution, end quote. He's basically describing... The ministry, the government, baiting, baiting the people into an open rebellion, trying to lure them into an open rebellion so that they would have an excuse to attack. This is premeditated murder on the part of the government, ladies and gentlemen. This is premeditated murder as surely as the Holocaust in Germany was premeditated murder. Yes, I said it. And this is why I say things like the King of England at the time, King George III, and all of his friends in Parliament should have been, if we could have gotten to them, should have been tried for treason and executed if found guilty. And they were guilty because in hindsight, we have them dead to rights. And Benjamin Franklin would have been a key witness in that trial to testify as to what he saw in London during the lead up to the war. And boy, I wish we could have gotten to him. I wish we could have gotten to King George III and put that guy on trial for his life, for the crimes that he committed, premeditated murder against the American colonists. That's what this is. I am not screwing around. You think this is a game? You think this is mythology? You think the Founding Fathers are these cute little people who existed in some faraway land so long ago it practically didn't happen? You think crimes were not committed here? You think it's so elegant and so glorious a bunch of people march out into the field with General Washington, pop off a few rounds with their muskets, and the next thing you know, independence is declared and everything's beautiful and America starts and constitution and freedom and liberty? Uh-uh. There was a conspiracy to commit murder by the government. Our government conspired to commit murder. Women and children, ladies and gentlemen. Because women and children were always going to die if people were goaded into an open rebellion. And the king would have known that. The parliament would have known that. And they didn't care. They conspired to it anyway. They set up, they set the stage for a war. And they got one. They got exactly what they wanted. And people died. This is not a frickin' game. And we need to stop treating it like it's a frickin' game. And every single day in this country, when we make decisions that go against what Dr. Franklin is telling us to do about how to keep our republic, how to run a republic, and how to keep freedom and liberty in this country, we are walking ourselves down this same frickin' path and saying to these people who died, who were murdered by their own government, we don't care about you, we don't care about your sacrifice. We don't take it seriously. And I'm sick of it. I've had it. Have you had it? Are you sick and tired yet? 
Are you sick and tired of a whole nation of people? Not everybody, but you know, the usual 70-80% just crapping on the graves of these people who died? Who were the victims of a criminal conspiracy by their own frickin' government, for God's sakes? This was the British Empire. I remember those words from Winston Churchill, something to the effect of, you know, if the British Empire for last, should last for a thousand years, they will say that this was their finest hour. Speaking of World War II, well, I guarantee on to you, history will say that this was one of the worst hours of the British Empire when they conspired to murder their own people with their military. This is what the British government has done. It's a shameful enterprise. And I'm not saying that the British government today is guilty of this. The people in the British government today were not alive when this happened. Their parents and grandparents were not alive. They're not responsible for this. But they better learn from their mistakes. Just like every government around the world should learn from this. Every people in every land around the world, all 8 billion of us, need to learn from this lesson. Because you think it can't happen here, and you think governments don't do this. It's conspiracy theory. You're talking about conspiracy theory. It's misinformation. Shut up! You frickin' moron. This has been happening for 10,000 years, and it will continue to happen as long as there's people out there saying, it's a conspiracy theory. You need to stop talking about conspiracy theory. You want a conspiracy fact? Right here, staring you right in the face. For God's sakes, man, pay attention. Take some time off from Disneyland for five frickin' minutes, pull your head out of your rear end, rub some brain cells together, and pay attention. This is frickin' real. I'm sick and tired of watching people die because nobody wants to pay attention to this stuff. Am I the only one who's upset at the pile of bodies? The unbelievable sum total of death, blood, and guts that have been spilled against this kind of crap? And by the way, if anybody out there has a problem with, with me talking about the, the pile of bodies or whatever, the Samuel Adams is going to be on the podcast here in a few minutes, and he is going to use the same kind of terminology. So if you have a problem with me using that terminology, you have a problem with Samuel Adams, and you can take it up with him since he's the uh, father of the American Revolution. I'm just a messenger. Don't don't shoot the messenger. It's, it's yet one more example of, again, you think I make this stuff up? I, I don't. I'm just borrowing it from the big guns of the American Revolution. That would be Samuel Adams. But I'm sick and tired of this guy. Is anybody else sick and tired of people just making the same stupid mistakes for 10,000 years? I mean, on the gravestone of humanity, it's going to be written somewhere that here lies a people who made the same stupid mistakes for 10,000 years, and they got billions of people killed in the process. Because they said it can't happen here. Oh, it happened in the British Empire, but it can't happen here. No, it did happen here. It was here where this happened. This criminal conspiracy to commit murder that Dr. Franklin is describing here, and make no mistake, that's exactly what it is. If somebody wants to tell me I'm wrong and don't know what I'm talking about, explain and thinks I'm misreading these words, what he's talking about here, please, please share your genius with me and tell me how I'm wrong. Because over and over and over again in these letters, we see these people conspiring behind the scenes. If Dr. Franklin is to be believed, and I don't know, he was there. I wasn't, and neither were you. But if he's to be believed, these people are, quote, rather wished to provoke the New England people into an open rebellion which might justify a military execution and thereby gratify a grounded malice which I conceived to exist there against the Whigs and dissenters of that country, end quote. The heck are we talking about here? They wished to provoke open rebellion, justify a military execution. There's an appropriate use of words if ever there was one. A military execution, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I think what he means there is literally the military executing offensive operations, not literally a military execution, but it's a very appropriate use of words there because it did, in fact, turn into a military execution. And what is that but a murder? And there's that term again, the Whigs. Quote, 
thereby gratify a grounded malice which I conceive to exist there against the Whigs and dissenters of that country, end quote. So the, the, min, the, minister, uh, the ministry has a problem, that is to say the government has a problem with the Whigs and the dissenters. The Whigs being an opposition political party, more or less to the Tories. The Tories were the loyalists, right? The Tories were the majority party, if you will. The ones that held the power in government in 1775, the king, the parliament, etc. And the Whigs were kind of in the colonies, mostly New England, as it was articulated in our previous letter. If you ever wanted to know, people, what happens when political parties take hold and these, these, these factions of dispute really begin to take hold in a government, right here. You wonder why I hate the political parties so much and why I paint a target on my back? This is why. I know where this goes. So this is my message to the United States of America. I'll further paint a target on my back because this is what I do. If you want to walk this country down the path of destruction, the United States of America, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep trying to make everything a federal issue. Keep trying to remove the government from the localities and send it off to some distant government in Washington, D.C. that does not understand how the people in Alaska should be governed or the people in the New Mexico should be governed. It has no frickin' clue. It's basically blind as a frickin' bat and it's corrupt as sin. But you just keep on doing that, and you keep engaging in this political party crap. You keep tearing this country apart every four years to elect a president. You keep going to your political rallies for your for your political party, and you go, you hoot, and you holler, and you clap, and you, yay, oh, our, our party won, the party won, woo! Because every time the party wins, the country loses. And I can string together a logical argument for that, and I don't care which one we're talking about. Either America wins, or the party wins. It's a zero-sum game. There aren't a lot of zero-sum games in the world, but this is one of them. And George Washington tried to tell us this. The wise old man, when he was leaving office, he was trying to communicate this to us rather directly. And the United States of America collectively gave him the finger and started doing the exact wrong thing. This isn't just modern American stupid. We inherited American stupid. American stupid existed long before I was ever born and before my parents were born. We were brought into this world with American stupid reigning supreme. And our grandparents and great-grandparents, in some cases, not all, they, they participated in this with reckless abandon. And we were lied to. Because somebody, at some point in American history, forgot to listen to General Washington, forgot to listen to Benjamin Franklin, and then forgot to crack open a frickin' history book and frickin' read the thing. And I'm sick and tired of the young people in this country being failed by the generations that came before them. I'm sick of it. And I'm not gonna do it. I'm not going to be a willing, idiot participant in this legacy of stupid that we have in this country. I am not going to fail the next generation. Every generation that came before me did a good enough job of that on this issue. Other issues? Perfectly wonderful. There, there are plenty of examples where, um, where Americans did not fail us in any meaningful way. That generation that fought World War II, they didn't fail us in that regard. You couldn't ask for a better collection of people to fight that battle. You couldn't ask for a more honorable and dedicated group of people to fight that battle. But on this battle, this thing that Dr. Franklin is talking about failed miserably. Failed miserably. Not all of them, but collectively as a generation. You gotta understand, when I, when I talk about these failures, it's always in the aggregate. When I say that parents have failed their children on these issues, I don't mean every parent. My parents surely didn't. My father was talking to me about this crap when I was, I can't even remember. I remember one conversation in particular. I couldn't have been older than 10 or 11 at the time talking to me very seriously about this stuff. He did not fail on this issue at all. He did his job, amongst others. And I know that some of you parents out there listening to this podcast are exactly the same as him. You're doing your job. So when I am leveling this accusation at the American people, it's in the aggregate. It's not on an individual basis. But you gotta know that this country would not be in the state it's in if a majority of parents were doing their job. They're not. 
We know they're not. The results speak for themselves. We've got to have a we, we've got to do, we've got to return to a firm, dedicated support of the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights, and all of these things that the Founding Fathers fought for. We've got too many people in this country not doing that. Too many people just giving up. Too many people trying to make everything a federal issue. Too many people not understanding exactly what the heck a republic even is, running around calling this country a democracy when it's not. And too many people abandoning the Bill of Rights. Now, I promised that Samuel Adams was going to make an appearance on this podcast, and he's chomping at the bit. He's been waiting in the wings for this entire episode, waiting to come on. And now we have him. This is an excerpt of a speech given by Samuel Adams father of the American Revolution on August 1st of 1776 in Philadelphia. It's a lengthy speech, but good news. I found the best part. This is what I do. I save you a lot of time. So let's listen to our good friend Sam Adams right now. Quote, When the spirit of liberty, which now animates our hearts and gives success to our arms, is extinct, our numbers will accelerate our ruin and render us easier victims of tyranny. Ye abandoned minions of an infatuated ministry, if peradventure should yet remain among us, remember that a Warren and Montgomery are among the dead. Contemplate the mangled bodies of our countrymen, and then say, What should be the reward of such sacrifices? Bid us and our posterity bow the knee, supplicate the friendship, and plow and sow and reap to glut and avarice of the men who have let loose on us the dogs of war to riot in our blood and hunt us from the face of the earth? If we love wealth better than liberty, the tranquility of servitude, than the animating contest of freedom, go from us in peace. We ask not your counsel or arms. Crouch down and lick the hands that feed you. May your chains rest lightly upon you. And may posterity forget that ye were our countrymen. End quote. That's my advice to those people who don't support the Bill of Rights and who don't want to take the time to understand this material. Go from us in peace. Hop a plane, get on a boat, and leave this country at the earliest possible opportunity because you are not our countrymen. There are those of us who are the posterity, the living representation of Samuel Adams, the father of the American Revolution, and Dr. Franklin. And then there's the rest who are not. And they're not American. They're not our countrymen and they don't belong here. Unfortunately, they are here. Now, hopefully, we can educate them. Hopefully. That is my hope. It's partly why I do this podcast. Some people might think, oh, Roman, you're too harsh. You're way too harsh. They're never gonna, they're never gonna stand to listen to this podcast because you're being too harsh. Well, we've been gentle for far too long, have we not? Just kind of talking around the issue instead of talking directly at the problem. How, where's that gotten us? How's that, how's that working for us? We have to talk a little bit louder. We have to be a little bit more direct. And hopefully, by talking directly at the problem, we will solve the problem, eventually. That's probably one of the better quotes from Samuel Adams that I've ever read in my entire life. Talking about people who prefer the tranquility of servitude than the animating contest of freedom. And other, that's the Disneyland crowd that I keep talking about. You wonder where I come up with this stuff? It's really just I'm paraphrasing and bringing up into a modern context what Samuel Adams was talking about. I don't make this stuff up. I don't know how many more times I have to say it. I'm not that smart. I'm not that good. I wish I was. I wish my name was Samuel Adams II, and I was as brilliant as this man. Or my name was Dr. Franklin II, or John Adams II, and I, I was as brilliant as these men were. But my name that's not my name. And I'm not as brilliant as these men were. So you know what I do? I go back and I listen to these guys. Because they built something. And it wasn't a reign of tyranny and oppression. It was, it was a hopeful enterprise that took some time to actually affect its true freedom and liberty. But once it did, it was a magnificent thing. 
And when we forget how this magic really works, what the recipe really is, we forget to read the manual, the instructions to the United States Constitution, we stand every single day to lose the very thing that we hold dear. And we cannot let that happen. So I want to thank you folks for bearing with me on this lengthy, probably, I don't know what this is going to be, what length this is going to be after it's edited. It's probably going to be at least an hour plus. Could be longer than that. But I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to Dr. Franklin and Samuel Adams. And I hope you appreciate my message around what they're saying and you understand why I have to put things in a modern context and why I have to admonish the United States of America in the modern day for forgetting these principles in the aggregate. Again, I know you folks, I'm preaching to the choir for most of you folks. There's a few new folks who might be just learning this stuff, and I welcome you. And as soon as you turn the page, and as soon as you start walking down the road that Dr. Franklin is prescribing, because he is the doctor after all, as soon as you walk down the road that he is prescribing and you figure out how to keep this republic that he so wished that we would keep, you are now a force for good and positivity in the United States of America, and hopefully a proud supporter of the Bill of Rights of the United States. The whole thing. No cherry-picking. The Bill of Rights was not meant to be cherry-picked. It's meant to be taken as a whole, as just a piece, just a piece of the recipe for freedom and liberty. And let us carry that forward. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. And I hope to see you folks on the next episode of this podcast as well. And with all of that said, this is Roman signing off. Thank you. <laughs>